Good day, everybody. This is Dana Masson with the Mindful Mama and a Sun Your Soul. And today we continue the series, Mindful Souls. Today I have Diana Lynn. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. She is an advocate for mental health. I am so excited to have a conversation with her, especially during Mental Health Awareness Month. So welcome, Diana. It's so nice to meet you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to get to chat with you. Absolutely. So you have been working in mental health for some time. What drew you to have a career in mental health? Mm. Um, I think I've always wanted to serve. I started out working in uh, medically related research on the brain and the nervous system. And then after having a child and having a better idea what anxiety and depression feel like, I really felt called to do this work to support others. And so I've been a marriage and family therapist for about 20 years now. That's amazing. Um, tell me more about Each Mind Matters and Promise to Talk. Each Mind Matters is a statewide campaign in California that is designed to help us feel comfortable asking for help, talking about our feelings, checking in on others. And we really want to reduce the stigma around mental health concerns. Promise to Talk is a local activation of Each Mind Matters here in Orange County. And it's um, put on as a collaboration between Providence Mission Hospital, St. Joseph and St. Jude. Amazing. And so how, how do people get connected? Is there a website to go to? There is a website, promisetotalk.org. We also have a presence on Facebook and Instagram, and all of our materials are available in Spanish, Vietnamese, and English to reach the majority of the population here. That's amazing. So do you guys go into, especially with COVID, I know everything's changed. Do you guys go into schools? Um, where are you guys trying to get, get the message out? Mostly for the past year, it's been on social media, yeah. but we also have a really wonderful toolkit that's available on the website that allows parents, teachers, um, Boys and Girls Club, any of those kind of organizations to access material that they can post on social media or activities that they can do with family or kids. That's amazing. Tell me more about Raising Healthy Teens Strength and Numbers program. Raising Healthy Teens is also fairly locally focused here in Orange County, but it's to give parents information about why we want our kids to wait until they're adults, they're in their 20s, before they use drugs and alcohol that teens still have a brain that is rapidly developing. And so we don't wanna interfere with that process by introducing nicotine, marijuana, alcohol, that really can have long lasting consequences. And so Raising Healthy Teens 
um, has a website by that name designed to help parents get a hold of information about drugs and alcohol to help them talk with their youth. And then Strength in Numbers is more of a club-based as well as online program to help the teens who maybe don't want to use know that they're not alone, to understand that most kids are not using drugs and alcohol and that they're not unusual for wanting to stay clean and sober and have a community that supports that decision. That's amazing. Um, I think about the outdated D.A.R.E. program that we're used to seeing in school systems. And myself, I kind of remember them just showing the scary side of drugs, but not going into the effects of the brain, which is so important because alcohol and even stimulants like nicotine can affect the brain. How do you relay that message to them, kind of show them what could happen to the brain? We really avoid any of those scary messages or anything that sounds all black and white. Yeah. And try to keep it very informational and sort of neutral so that people can take in the information and decide for themselves and for their family what's going to work, but really have accurate information and tools to make those important decisions. I like that. So more factual, less dramatic and scary, and they can make an educated decision what's best for them. Yeah. Um, with teens, what are you seeing teens struggling with now compared to a decade ago? Are there new challenges? Is it pretty much the same what you've seen before? I think what we've seen within the past year is a lot more anxiety and depression in teens and adults. And those losses, the grief of not having graduation, not having prom, not having time with friends, losing friendships. And when you're um, on a Zoom session for class in your own bedroom and maybe haven't had a haircut and maybe haven't cleaned the room, those kids get really self-conscious and then they start turning off the cameras and become more and more isolated. And there's a lot of anxiety then about being seen. And we've really, <clears throat> excuse me, um, imposed a lot of anxiety about being near other people or being out in the world. So I think there's going to be a gradual change for our young people and they'll need a lot of support to feel confident going back into group settings. How do you, because I know in my practice, I've seen this where when the adults are giving the choice to the child of going back to face-to-face -face school, there is this resistance about it. What advice do you have to families? Because what I can see is that just what you said, they're struggling with like putting themselves back out there. There's kind of this comfort with home now and this safety net with home, um, a little bit of stagnation as well. What advice do you give to families that are trying to figure out what's the right decision? Oh, I think it is so hard because as adults, we have trouble knowing what's safe and who can I socialize with and how close can I get and when can I take off my mask and maybe who's been vaccinated. And 
it's even more difficult for young people to make that decision because for the most part, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they're going to want to be near their friends and they need yeah. to be near their friends. And I think that as much as a parent can feel confident in their recommendation, that will help the young person know. When we leave it entirely up to a child or a teen to decide about going back to school, there's no way that they can have all the information that they need to make a wise choice. And yeah. so we have to be willing to support them and then also expect they're going to waver. They're going to be anxious and worried and they're going to have questions. And often that shows up as irritability, low motivation, oh, I overslept today, don't make me go. And so just acknowledging how hard this is for our young people to make this big adjustment after more than a year being at home and being patient and supporting with them will be important. So important. Um, and a lot of depression and the depression I'm seeing, it's a sneaky depression. Um, it's not the type of depression that we're used to seeing kids kind of walk into the office with. It's, it's that irritability that you're talking about. It's that stuckness, you know, like the oversleeping. Right. Um, with social media, social media has like a beautiful side and a dark side. Do you ever give any advice or guidance on social media when it comes to teens and even adults? Well, I think it's gotten harder the past year because everyone is online on a device all the time and harder to monitor. I certainly had young people checking in about um, wanting support to cut back on their social media time and starting to use their devices to track how much time they spent and giving themselves an hour or two instead of four or six hours a day to do that. And so I think that because of the possible downside from social media, it is good for young people to cut back when they can and also to be selective. There are sites and interactions online that nourish our soul and build up our self-confidence. And there are places that just make us feel bad about ourselves. And knowing that it's really okay, just like you pick good friends, to pick good social media contacts. That's so good, so important. Um, what else are you seeing because of COVID-19, what, what new waves are you seeing um, from adults, from adolescents, from teenagers since we've been affected by COVID-19? I think the anxiety and depression has really increased. Those who had a tendency to be anxious or depressed, it's gotten worse. But even for those who maybe had a pretty calm and, and nurturing life, are suddenly finding a loss of job, a change in their income, feeling like their housing is at risk, um, feeling like now they have multiple jobs for our moms who are home, working from home, being teacher for one or more children all day at home, mm -hmm. and not having that 
escape to go out in the world and exercise or be with their friends. And so it's just, you know, 18 hours of work a day with no breaks and often not in control of your own schedule. And so that is exhausting and it's worrisome. And um, seldom have we had so many people who are going through anxiety and depression at the same time. Yes. In terms of stigma, it could come in handy because it's almost become the norm. So many are grieving the loss of a friend or relative to COVID, grieving a job that they had before, um, worried about what's going on in the greater world as well as within their own household. And with the pandemic, much of the mental health services have moved to be online. And there's some benefit, um, there's some privacy in some ways to do online counseling. But then there's also the fact that everyone in my household knows now that I'm online in a therapy session. Yes. So I like what you said. Um, in a weird way, it's kind of removing the stigma. Um, it's kind of normalizing it, but it doesn't, it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable for someone to admit that they need help. You know, what's and very important to realize how universal this is. Yeah, that we all have something that we've lost and we have things that we're grieving. And I got reminded the other day, listening to a program about Ramadan, how when we give up something, we get reminded how grateful we could be for all the little things that we don't have access to. Yes. It's a great time to think about time with friends and family or time in art galleries and nature. And those things that we're longing for could be a reminder to be grateful. It's, it's so true, definitely true. What tools do you offer to people that are going through anxiety, depression, like exercises, meditation? What do you, what's your toolbox? Well, for depression, all those basic self-care approaches help. So having a healthy diet, sleeping well, getting some fresh air, getting some exercise can all help with depression. Um, with anxiety, there's a lot of research now about the vagus nerve that runs down the side of the neck and how we calm that vagus nerve to reduce our own anxiety. And you can do that with wonderful poses like pretending you're Superman. You can do it with slow, deep, relaxed breathing. You can do it by changing the tone of your voice and making it more melodic, hum to yourself, sing to yourself, pretend you're talking to a puppy. And all of those things tell our nervous system, you're okay and the world's okay, and you can be calm. And they're easy things that we can use while we're at work. Yes, that is so cool. I love that. Um, I have some clients who were really social, social butterflies, going out, doing things. And now that it's become safer to go out, they're noticing 
that they don't want to. So I don't know if I would really call that a depression, but it's like they're kind of feeling stuck and comfortable and just not doing anything. What what would you call that? What would you advise? Um, well, we are we are fast learners as human beings. And if we learn that it's unsafe to go outside, then we're pretty quickly going to stop going outside. And it may take each of us our own amount of time to learn to go back out. I think for some folks, there's also some post-traumatic stress disorder that goes with this. If we had family members who were very ill or who died from COVID-19, then that fear is pretty real. And it can be traumatic to imagine putting myself in that situation where I could get sick. That's, it's so important. Um, when we talk about PTSD, and luckily we're talking about it more, a lot of people think big time trauma. And so they don't even think that they could be experiencing PTSD because of this situation, even if they weren't the ones that were directly affected or even got sick from COVID, but just watching the news, watching yeah. the news, having family members affected, that can definitely be a trigger. What are you working on right now to help encourage and raise the vibration of your community? I know you have so many things going on right now. Well, I do work with two family resource centers and we offer case management, outpatient therapy, and psychiatric services to the low-income population in the area. And um, we are slowly moving back to doing services in person because there's something really wonderful about sitting in a room with someone who cares about you, who is there to listen, who validates your experience, who doesn't expect anything of you, at least for this one hour. And so we'll continue being available online for those who need us that way, but also sitting and offering the warmth and the acceptance, um, I hope will make a difference. And then with um, Promise to Talk, we have really increased for the month of May as Mental Health Awareness Month, the messages that we have out there, um, many of the images that we are connecting with mental health are positive, they are family oriented, and we're really encouraging people to share a feeling. So it might be calling my friend to find out how they're feeling, or if I'm not having a great day, calling a friend or relative and saying, I just need to talk, can I share something with you? And making it okay to talk about feelings and what we're experiencing. I love that. Sharing can be so hard. Um, people can be the best listeners. And then when it comes to their time where it would be appropriate for them to share or reach out for support, there's a hinder. So it's it's so nice that you're putting that out there and creating these opportunities for people to grow in their emotional intelligence. It's beautiful. And it is a way that connects us all. We all have feelings. We've all had some scary times in the past year. We're all feeling the losses. 
And so the more we can talk about that, the less it feels like there's something wrong with me. And that stigma gets stirred up that makes me not want to tell people or not makes me want to seek professional help if I need. Yes. Perfectly said. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I enjoyed listening to you and I'm so happy that we're getting these resources out for people to really use and take advantage of. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.